Shalom, and thank you for listening to sermons from Tikvot Israel, a Messianic synagogue in the heart of Richmond, Virginia. Listening to the podcast is great, but if you want the full experience, please join us Saturday mornings at 10 a.m. for our worship service. We are located at the corner of Boulevard and Grove, across from the Art Museum. For more information, you can visit our website at tikvotisrael.com. There, you can support the ministry, learn more about Messianic Judaism, and contact us with any questions or comments. May Hashem bless you through the hearing of his word. Avinu, uh, we thank you for your faithfulness. We thank you for your presence this morning, your, your Holy Spirit, your Ruach HaKodesh. We pray that your word would go forth to encourage your people, O God, um, that we would see your goodness and we would uh, receive what you have to say to us this morning. And in Yeshua's name we pray. Amen. Well, 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 well. Let's take a step back in time together. A time before the smartphone, before the microwave, before even the humble drinking fountain, or bubbler, as they say in Boston, or water cooler. Not such fancy inventions, I know, but... There was a time before that, if you can imagine. And in the ancient Near East, how did we get the most precious commodity, water? There was no sensor you could just wave your hand in front of and the basic element of life would spring forth. No. There was only the well. Well, well, well. You knew that was coming back, right? We needed, and we still need, water for almost every human activity. Some of us did and still do cook with water, drink water, even regularly bathe with water. My wife is very thankful for that. (laughs) Amen. This was the ancient water cooler, the well. It was the place to meet a potential mate. It was the source of life. And it was the local hangout, all rolled into one place. Today's New Covenant Parsha takes place at a well, but not just any well. The well of Jacob, actually. And in Messianic Judaism, we often talk about the idea that the narrative of Yeshua and the gospel accounts brings to fullness the narrative of Israel in the Tanakh. And this week is no exception. And there are at least three narratives that set the foundation for Yeshua's interaction with the Samaritan woman in John chapter 4. So we want to see how well the well narrative of Yeshua welds together the other well narratives so well that by the end, you too will be saying, well, well, well. Since we are now all comfortably in ancient times and we understand the importance of the well as the center of ancient life, let us now look to the narratives that inform the gospel story. These come from Genesis and Exodus This is the original rom-com that Juan was talking about, the romantic comedy, Boy Meets Girl Story, and we are entitling it 
wooing at the well. Ooh, wooing at the well. We meet our hero, a young man. He is a combination of three people. The servant of Abraham on behalf of Isaac, uh, Jacob, and Moses. These are the three people. So let's call him S-A-B-I-J-A-M. How about Sabajam? It's good, right? So Sabajam, this is a combination of, you, you following with me? The servant, yeah, okay. Sabajam follows, uh, he travels to a foreign land. Perhaps the ancient land of his family. Maybe it's Midian. He arrives at the well, the center of social activity, and he is tired and thirsty. And his camels are tired and thirsty. They're so thirsty, they can't even spit. He can see many young women around the well, tending to many tiny, thirsty sheep. Bah. And then he sees her. Mm. Not a sheep, not a camel, but a beautiful young woman. Could this be the one, he thinks. Lord, give me a sign, he prays. And he asks her for a drink, and she explains... I would be glad to give you and your thirsty camels and all my sheep some water. But there's a problem with the well. You see, there's a giant stone that needs to be rolled away so we can get to the water. And also there are these mean shepherds trying to drive us away from this precious commodity that we need. And Sabajam, he immediately knows what to do. He is filled with covenantal heroic strength and love. And so he gives those mean shepherds the old what's what. And they flee in all directions. Then, as if he was simply moving a pebble out of the way, he pushes the giant stone from the well so that all the women can get the water. Pretty impressive. And also, uh, wait, where was I? Okay, so yes, so the young lady, she responds to this. She says, what do you think she says? My hero. Wait till my father, Bethuel Laban Jethro, hears about this amazing encounter. That's a combination of all the father figures. Okay. Uh, And uh, the young man is incredulous. Bethuel Laban Jethro is your father? No way. And so the couple continues to chat. And it turns out this young woman has the same values and vision as the young man, because they come from the same ancient family, a sign from God. And she shows gracious character because she has watered his camels without even asking him. Um, And this is another sign from God about her inner character and something that the young man was looking for. And so he bestows on the young woman many precious gifts, such as uh, gold earrings and uh, clothing from her favorite ancient Near East outlet, Forever 21 BCE. Or perhaps, uh, I I was going to go with that, or Hay and Mem. It's like H and M, but never mind. Okay. Um, So the girl, overjoyed, runs to tell her family 
the young man gets to meet the whole mishpucha, the family, and they do what all good relationships do from ancient Judaism until now. They have a meal together, which is what we're going to do very soon. It is then that a marriage is arranged, and the boy and the girl live happily ever after, for the most part. Yeah, I mean, you know, there's, they go through stuff, but it's, it's come on, people. <laughs> They're just like, you're just like, no. <laughs> come on. So this is a, a narrative blending of the woman at the well stories from Abraham's servant for Isaac and Rebecca. That's in Genesis 24. Jacob and Rachel in Genesis 29, and Moses and Zipporah, or as I call her, Zippy, uh, in Exodus 2. So these narratives are the, actually the foundation of our gospel narrative found in John chapter 4. So we're going to start off with verses 4 through 6 and look at this week's New Covenant portion. But he, that is Yeshua, needed to pass through Samaria... So he comes to a Samaritan town called Shechem, near the plot of land that Jacob gave to his son Joseph. Now, what's there? Jacob's well was there. That's a clue in the text, right? So Yeshua, exhausted from the journey, was sitting by the well. It was midday, just like Jacob was tired and needed a drink. So Shechem, this place, is actually very important in the biblical narrative. Uh, This is actually, the first time it appears, is where Hashem reveals himself first to Abram, later known as Abraham, in Genesis 12. And we don't always make this connection. Um, So let's go, let's take a look at, this is Genesis 12, starting in verse 3, which is very foundational to Messianic Judaism. Um, And then we're going to go from there and see where Shechem appears. My desire is to bless those that bless you. This is God speaking to Abraham, giving him his, his covenant. But whoever curses you, I will curse. And in you or through you, all the families of the earth will be blessed. We've heard this before, right? Can we say amen? It's a good, it's a good line, right? So Abram went, just as Adonai had spoken to him. Also Lot went with him. That's his nephew. When Abram was... 75 years old when he departed from Haran. Abram took Sarai, his wife, and Lot, his nephew, and all their possessions that they had acquired, and the people that they had acquired in Haran, and they left to go to the land of Canaan, and they entered the land of Canaan. Abram passed through the land as far as the place of Shechem, Mm. as far as Moray's big tree. The Canaanites were in the land then. Then Adonai appeared to Abram and said, I will give this land to your seed. So there he built an altar to Adonai who had appeared to him. Shechem, this place, right, is the first stop. It's the first appearance of the Lord to Abraham. Following the foundational covenant the covenantal statement to bless all the families of the earth through who? Through Abraham and Abraham's descendant, which would be, of course, the fullness of that would be Yeshua, but also is the Jewish people. This is the location of Jacob's well. It's anchored the narrative 
in the faithfulness of God to the patriarchs, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Thank you, Jason. So place matters in the Bible. Where things happen, this is important. And so the scriptures are reminding us that these narratives happened in a particular place with a particular people. We are reminded of God's plan to bless all the nations through the Jewish people, through Abraham's seed. We are reminded of the identity of God as the God of Jacob, who is faithful even to schemers like Jacob. And finally, we are reminded of the well-wooing stories. But the traditional rom-com, that romantic comedy, it's transformed in the narrative of Yeshua in the gospel. So let's continue to look at this. This is John chapter 4, again, verses 7 to 15. A Samaritan woman comes to draw water. Give me a drink, Yeshua tells her, for his disciples had gone away to the town to buy food. Then the Samaritan woman tells him, how is it that you, a Jew, ask me, a Samaritan woman, for a drink? For Jewish people don't deal with Samaritans. Yeshua replied to her, If you knew the gift of God and who it is that is saying to you, Give me a drink, you would have asked him, and he would have given you living water. Maim Chaim. Sir, the woman tells him, You don't have a bucket, and the well is deep. So then from where do you get this living water? You're not greater than our father Jacob. Are you? He gave us this well. He drank out of it himself with his sons and his cattle. Yeshua replied to her, Everyone who drinks from this water will get thirsty again, but whoever drinks of the water that I give him shall never be thirsty. The water that I give him will become a fountain of water within him, springing up to eternal life. Sir, this woman tells him, Give me this water so I won't get thirsty or have to come all the way here to draw water. Hmm. In other words, Jacob built the well, but Yeshua is the well. Solomon built the temple, but Yeshua is the temple. Moses delivered the Torah, but... Ah, you knew I was going there. Yeshua is the Torah. He fulfills and renews these touch points in the Tanakh, but he greatly surpasses the work of the patriarchs. You're not greater than our father Jacob, are you? Well, he is, right? As Hebrews 3, verses 3 and 4 put it, for he has been considered worthy of more glory than Moses, even as the builder of the house has more honor than the house. For every house is built by someone, but the builder of all things is God. Moreover, Yeshua is not a well of stagnant water, but he is moving water. Moving water in Hebrew is maim chaim. It's the same as living water. So when they say living water in the scriptures, that means it's water that's moving, like a river not a stagnant, broken cistern, but living. Referring to the problem of idolatry, the prophet Jeremiah puts it like this, comparing the two things. This is Jeremiah 2.13. My people have committed two evils. 
They have forsaken me, the spring of living water, Maim Chaim, and they dug their own cisterns, cracked cisterns that hold no water. God has covenanted with Israel, married her in a sense, and yet Israel has looked to other things for her identity and purpose and life and satisfaction and wholeness besides God. Indeed, anything other than God will ultimately not provide the water of life that we need, the marriage relationship with God that brings life. And this brings us to the end of our narrative, the uh, last chapter in chapter, in, still in chapter 4, but chapter of the story, uh, 16 through 26 of the Gospel Besora of John. He tells her, go call your husband and then come back here. And she says, I don't have a husband, the woman replied. Yeshua tells her, you've said it right, I have no husband. For you've had five husbands, and the man you have now isn't your husband. This you've spoken truthfully. Sir, the woman tells him, I see that you are a prophet. Our fathers worshipped on this mountain, but you say, you all say that the place where we must worship is Jerusalem. Yeshua tells her, woman, believe me, an hour is coming when you will worship the Father neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem. You worship what you do not know. We worship what we know, for salvation is from the Jews, the Udayoi. But an hour is coming, it is here now, when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth. For the Father is seeking such people as his worshipers. God is spirit, and those who worship him must worship him in spirit and truth. The woman tells him, I know that Messiah is coming. He who is called the Anointed One. When he comes, he will explain everything to us. Yeshua tells her, I, the one speaking to you, I am. Here we see several important things. One, salvation is from the Jews, Udayoi. The narrative of rescuing is known in God's relationship with the Jewish people and comes out of God's faithfulness to Abraham's seed in the Tanakh. We also see the wooing at the well, but it takes place in a new way. The young man comes from far away. The heroic saving action, the sign that this is from God, and the giving of gifts, which in this case is the gift of life. Do we see all these narratives taking shape in the story of Yeshua and the Samaritan woman. Yes. This woman, she's no Rachel or Rebecca. Uh, These are, um, they did have flaws, but they were, above all, uh, overall, they were virtuous women of inner beauty. We see how Rachel um, feeds even the camels um, for Jacob when he doesn't even ask. And this, you know, camels drink a lot of water. We're not, we're not, we're kind of removed from this story a little bit, but, uh, you know, that, that hump that they have, that's all water, I guess. So, um, so this is a, a, a monumental thing that she's showing the beauty of her character. The Samaritan woman is a little bit different, right? She's had many husbands, and she's now with someone that is not her husband. 
This is a kind of a typical lifestyle for the Samaritans. That's sort of their, their culture. And yet, the heroic groom reaches out to her. But is adulterous Israel really so different? The heroic groom, the Lord, is always reaching out to Israel in the prophetic books, right? That's what we just read about that in Jeremiah. Yeshua reaches out, not in a romantic way, but as a different kind of groom. He is a groom better than Jacob. He is the groom of Israel and even the groom of those not from Israel, the Samaritans. Yeshua, the Eudaios, the Judean leader, he identifies with and speaks to those that are on the margins. To do what? To rescue them. The matriarchs like Rachel and Rebecca and Zipporah and the Samaritans, these are all vulnerable, marginal people groups that could potentially be dominated by others, easy to take advantage of. But the hero husband in the story, he is in a position to exploit, but he always rescues instead. Yeshua, of course, is no exception to this narrative trope. As for the argument about where to worship, I read this as uh, trying to draw Yeshua into a divisive conversation. Samaritan versus Jew. You people say we have to worship there, but we say we should worship here. Which is it? Where do you weigh down on this controversial subject? But Yeshua, as always, he gets to the heart of the matter. What is worship really about? It's about worship in the Ruach, the life-giving spirit, right, which is like water, and in truth, which is the life-giving Torah. Yeshua has come to explain all this because he is the embodied spirit, and he is the embodied Torah, the embodied truth. He carries the identity of I am, the God of Israel, yud vav And this is the first of seven I am statements in John, linking Yeshua's identity to Hashem, the name of God. He is the husband because God is the rescuing husband. There is a postscript to our story at the well. The disciples, having found Yeshua, are upset at his reaching out to a marginal person a Samaritan, and a woman. The woman herself, having found the husband of God's children, runs where? To tell her family. Samaritans, this this village is her family. And this is in John 4, 27 to 30. At this moment, his disciples came back. They were amazed that he was speaking with a woman. Yet no one said, what do you want? Or why are you speaking with her? The woman left her water jar and went back to the town. She tells the people, come and see a man who told me everything I ever did. He couldn't be the Messiah, could he? The people left the town and began coming to him. She runs to the family to tell them about the Messiah. Just as Rachel 
ran to her family. This time, it's not part of a rom-com, but it's to tell them about the faithful Messiah. There are many lessons in this story. Ultimately, we are supposed to see ourselves in it. How are we called to be the hero husband and rescue the marginalized, rescue the vulnerable? Who is the Samaritan in our life, that group of people or that person we wouldn't be caught dead talking to, but Yeshua personally reached out to? What arguments are we caught up in about worship when we should be worshiping in spirit and in truth? Maybe we identify with the Samaritan woman. How can we embrace our identity in Messiah, accepting that he is reaching out to us as we are in our brokenness and we can drink from the living waters of life? Remember our verse for the year. Yeshua said in John 10, 27, my, you got to help me out, my sheep hear my voice and I know them and they follow me. Fellow followers of Yeshua, how can we do as he did? Behold, the bridegroom, the Messiah is coming. His kingdom is upon us even now. The spring of living water is available to all, those that are near and those that are far, to Jew and Samaritan, male and female. The bridegroom is at the well. He has come from far away. He has given us gifts like the eternal wellspring of eternal life. He has given us signs like rising from the dead. He has heroically rescued us from our sins. So now, go. Run and tell your village. Tell your family, your people, all that God has done. Amen? All right. Well, let's pray. Thank you, Father. Abba, we thank you for your goodness, your faithfulness. Uh, we thank you um, for these narratives that we can draw from um, about your, your truth. We thank you that uh, you are our husband in a sense and that you are the wellspring of life and that you are the only one that we can re rely on for our identity and for our sustenance, but that you sustain us and um, you give us eternal life and you give us gifts and you rescue us from our sins. And you have done so much for us that we are compelled, Lord, to not only thank you, but to tell others what you have done, to tell our family, to tell our village um, that, that you have come and that you are coming back. We thank you for your faithfulness to Israel and to all nations through Yeshua the Messiah. And in his name we pray. Amen. Amen.